We'll introduce our speaker, Bishop Burbage. Thanks so much, Brendan. Maybe, um, friends, if we could just give it a prayer, if we could. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Almighty God, thank you for allowing us to gather this evening in your holy name as brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that your spirit will be with us, to enlighten us, and to guide us through our time together, the conversation that we share, and give us the grace to renew our commitment to follow you faithfully all the days of our lives. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Thank you. Since we're uh, making announcements, can I get uh, one quick announcement in? So we are asking the young adults in our diocese to help us out with a, a major survey we're doing uh, within the diocese sent to all the priests and asking them to share with the parishioners about how we are communicating, how we are communicating the good news, the gospel, uh, throughout our diocese. You know, we try to use every means possible whether it be print material, uh, whether it be podcast or Facebook or Twitter, all these different things. But we have a really a well done survey. But we we really are not getting a great response from uh, our young adults. So maybe we didn't get that word out, and that's something that we're going to learn from. But if you go on the diocesan website, uh, I made sure that it's, it's going to appear as soon as you go on our diocesan website, and it's pretty user friendly to go through. It should take you no longer than 10 minutes, and it does give you space to give us some helpful comments and insights that may positively impact the way we're trying to improve our communications efforts. So if you could do that, find the time to do that, that would be uh, wonderful. So it's great to be with all of you tonight. Uh, I had a, a real formal talk, uh, and then I decided as I was going through it, I would probably like to make this a little bit more heart-to-heart, -heart, uh, a little bit more conversational. Uh, so I, I, I did, deliberately didn't bring my notes with me, uh, and, and just hope we can have more of a, a, a conversation uh, this evening. But, you know, like looking out tonight and, and seeing young adults on a Monday night all gathered uh, because of your love for the Lord, because of your love for your faith uh, and, and supporting each other, I can't tell you as a bishop uh, how proud that makes me and how uh, wonderful, what a wonderful sight it is. Just like to share with you two experiences similar of, 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 of that this past weekend because I think God uses our current experiences to teach us. Uh, we had a wonderful diocesan pilgrimage uh, on Saturday where over 2,000 people from around the diocese uh, went to the Basilica Shrine of the Immaculate Conception on pilgrimage. And the day consisted, it was so prayerful, uh, the day consisted of, of those things that can become a pattern of our life uh, if we are really truly trying to, to grow in holiness. For example, we began with the rosary. Uh, we be we had a holy hour, and to to be in a basilica that size with almost two thousand people, with profound silence for a sustained period of time was was an incredible witness and a reminder to all of us, I think, dear friends, uh, of that, that that need in our spiritual lives to somehow, some way, uh, each day, even if it's for a few moments, uh, to, to allow for some moment of silence to reflect on what we're doing, why we're doing it, and allowing God to speak to us. We had the celebration of the sacrament of penance. We had 38 confessors hearing confessions for almost two hours because people believe that uh, God heals us, God forgives us. There's no sin greater than God's mercy. 
Uh, we had the beautiful uh, celebration of, of the Mass. Uh, one thing that was very, very touching to me was that at one part of the Mass, at the end, we asked the people that if you purchase any religious articles that day, rosaries, medals, crucifixes, statues, whatever, that I would go down the aisle and bless them with the holy water. And as I was going down the aisle, I mean, to see the faith, right? To see the faith, the devotion of people just like putting out these articles to, to have them blessed. And when I got back to the chair, I told the rector of the Basilica Shrine, I think we, we bought out your, your gift store. You know? <laughs> but it was so beautiful to see such simple yet profound faith. And it is a reminder, I, I don't know about you, but I really find it very, very helpful uh, to, to surround myself with religious symbols that, that remind me of God's abiding presence. I like wearing a medal. I like carrying a rosary. I have to have a crucifix above my bed. Those, those religious symbols are just so, so important. We're body and spirit, and, and they can really help us a lot. And then we had this incredible Eucharistic procession from the Basilica Shrine to the Shrine of St. John Paul II. We, cut, we uh, shut down the street, and we process with the Blessed Sacrament to the John Paul II Shrine. Just silence. Beautiful singing. We got to the John Paul II Shrine and the sisters led us in the Divine Mercy Chapel. And I just think that a Eucharistic procession helps us to what we're trying to do here tonight. Uh, a procession reminds us that in our faith journey, God never wants us to walk alone. God wants us to walk together as brothers and sisters, encouraging each other, supporting each other in faith, which is what I think you're doing here tonight. And that, that is so, so key. A procession reminds us that we, this is just a journey. Work hard. You know, reach for those accomplishments and those goals you have set for yourself. Wish you lots of success. But never forget, uh, that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is, is to get to heaven. And when the Lord calls us to himself, he's going to ask us, to what extent did you love me? To what extent did you, did you love one another? So helping each other uh, in, that, in that journey of, of faith. Uh, always with... Here's what the Eucharist procession really reminds us. Plus the sacraments in front of the procession. Jesus leads, we follow. Right? Jesus leads, and we follow. Then on Sunday, we had an incredible day of the wedding anniversary mass, honoring a um, couple celebrating 25 and 50 years of marriage. So we added up the numbers, and I was able to announce at the beginning of mass that represented in that church on Sunday was... 8,300 year, 8, years of marriage. Uh, what an incredible witness in a society that doesn't, that struggles with permanency, that struggles with the ability to make a commitment. And I said to the couples, I bet you get asked all the time, how do you do that? How do you, how do you live this covenant 25 years, 50 years? I bet you all give the same answer, only in Jesus. Right? It's only with the help that the Lord gives to us. I told them a story about a couple last year at an anniversary mass. They, there was, I was talking to them, I said to them, how, how many years have you been married? And the guy says, 62 years. And right away, the, the wife jumps in, she says, and I'm going right to heaven. <laughs> and I said, that's it. That's the key. That's what maybe, maybe some of you are married. Maybe some of you are discerning marriage. That's the beautiful vocation of marriage. A couple is joined together to help each other get to heaven, to grow in holiness. That's the purpose of the vocation. 
We know marriage is a sign, right? Because it's, it's, a, it's a sacrament, because it's a sign, a visible sign of the way that Jesus loves his church. So every time you look at a married couple, right? And for you, discerning marriage as, as your vocation. Right? Every time you look at a married couple, you're supposed to be able to look at them. You're supposed to be able to say, you see how they love one another? That's the way Christ loves us. That's the way Christ loves his church, sacrificial permanent, faithful, life-giving. That's what marriage is, is a sign of. I also told this funny story about uh, a couple, a friend of mine, they were married 40 years, and they were helping a uh, couple preparing for marriage, in marriage prep. And my friend who's married 40 years turns to the bride-to-be, and she says, uh, so why do you want to marry this guy? Why, why do you want to marry this guy? And the bride, with these bright eyes, she looks back up, she said, because he fulfills me in every way possible. And my friend Turner said, step away, because that's not going to happen. And I think what she was trying to say respectfully, no matter how much we love each other as humans, right, the only love that fulfills us completely, possible to do that, is the divine love, is the sacred heart of Jesus. And so anyone discerning marriage you know, you have to be convinced as these couples, I'm sure, who have done this for 25 and 50 years, it's only in Jesus that this covenant can be lived and fulfilled, right? So there were two great diocesan events this past weekend. I always try to see how an event teaches us something spiritually, so I just wanted to share that um, with you. But what I'd like to talk to you about tonight is uh, we gather in October, which uh, in the life of the church is Respect Life Month. Uh, every day is Respect Life Day, but the church in her wisdom says, well, let's dedicate a month to heighten the awareness that the call we all receive to protect the sacredness of all human life from conception and natural death and the dignity of each and every human person without exception. And so tonight I thought maybe just give you a couple of practical suggestions of how you, your generation, um, and all of you can play a special role in the life of the church, in lifting up the gospel of life. So I'm going to talk about three words, right? I'm going to talk about the word being called, I'm going to talk about the word courage, and I'm going to finish with compassion. But being called, and, and I think in our own spiritual lives this is so important. Let me just share this story with you. A couple years ago in my former diocese, um, a 17-year-old boy was in a, a very serious car accident. and. Um, he was in a coma. And the parents, of course, were by his side. And the doctor walks in, but not the nicest bedside manners, to be honest with you. And he said to the parents, somewhat abruptly, uh, you know, uh, he's not going to make it. You need to know that. And maybe it's just as well, because if he did, he would, he would simply be a vegetable. And there was a nurse in the room, and she didn't believe that. She didn't believe that. And every day she would go back and she would hold his hand and rub it, sing to him, read to him, play music for him, and just kept doing it day in, day out. Then she began to ask him questions. You know, if you, if you hear this song, blink your eyes or, or squeeze my hand, and he would do it. And so she sees optimism and she sees hope. So she tells, she tells the doctor this story, and the doctor thinks, you know, she's just being falsely optimistic, 
Uh, so the doctor goes back and he, he starts asking the same questions and, and nothing's happening. There is no response, right? The nurse just didn't understand. Well, sure enough, and, and this is a very true, this is a true story, miraculously, he comes out of the coma. He's able to leave the hospital, he begins doing therapy, right? does therapy, and gets back on his feet. Wants to come back to the hospital to thank the nurse. He find, he identifies her, finds her, thanks her for all that she did. And she, you know, I need to, need to ask you a question. She says, how come every time I ask you to squeeze my hand or blink your eye, you do it? But when the doctor asked you to do that, you didn't do it. And he said, because he called me, he called me a vegetable. Called me a vegetable. Her life, the names we call, how sad, an unborn, called a choice. God the tissue, the elderly, called a burden. The inmate, called a criminal. The migrant and the refugee, called an alien. And the list goes on and on. And it is by the names we call each other impacts our approach to the life itself. Dear friends, I hope you know that you're called by name. You're called by name. God created you in his own image and his likeness. You're called children of God. God's Holy Spirit lives and dwells within you. You are called a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God unites us as one. We are called God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ. What is a problem in our society, as you know, is that we are so easily labeling, labeling one another because of a position we hold, because of a political disposition we have, because of a stance that we take. And it's so easy to, to lump people in categories, to call them by names without knowing them, without knowing what is in their heart. And so a challenge in the pro-life movement are two, I think, is first of all, to recognize your call by name and to act accordingly. In other words, if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, act accordingly. Give the example and the witness that people need to see that you know that this body of yours is, is God's. So, so it's great to, to exercise. It's great to eat properly. It's great to take care of yourself. We have to do that. But for the right reasons. Not just for appearance sake, but to know that every time I make those right decisions of how I'm treating my body, substances I may be avoiding, patterns of behavior I may be leaving behind, I'm giving glory to God because I know my name. I know my name is a child of God. And to make sure, secondly, that we, we recognize each other the same way. Avoid labeling, avoid putting people in categories, and let, giving them the dignity that is theirs, okay? Called by name, courage. Shortly after the uh, shooting in Alexandria, remember that, at the uh, baseball game, and uh, there was that shooting. Providentially, that Sunday, I was at St. Mary's uh, in Alexandria. And it's a very beautiful idea from the parish and from the uh, pastor that after Mass, since so much healing was needed, 
or we should have a Eucharistic procession, procession to the streets of Alexandria on a Sunday. Bring Jesus out into the street. And sure enough, we did. We had a Eucharistic procession. It's a Sunday afternoon, don't forget. It was a beautiful day. People were coming out of the supermarket and, you know, running errands and all these things. And yet, here's all these Catholics, you know, processing down the street with a busted sacrament. And people just stopped in their tracks. Many of them, of course, were not Catholic. But they knew that there was something sacred. There was something special going on. And there was this reverent silence for like an hour and a half as we walked. You are not called to bring the monstrance, to bring the blessed sacrament to your workplace or to, the, to your communities. But each and every day, you are called to bring Jesus to those places. To those places, through, through the words, through your example, and, and most especially through that witness that you offer. From what I hear, from people who talk to me who are of your generation and people who are talking to me on college campuses, it's getting more and more difficult to do so. You're so easily dismissed, categorized, ridiculed, rejected. It takes courage to, to take a stance and to be confident in that. Uh, and pray for that gift. Right? I always tell the kids I confirm, you receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, call upon them. And same thing with you. Call upon courage when you need it. God will give you will give you that strength, even though you put yourself at risk, whether it be at work or at school. The courage to, to profess, to put into action what you truly, truly believe. And never underestimate the difference that it will make. You don't know how you don't even know how God will use that. On Wednesday, during these 40 days for life, I will be gathering, you know, with young people and people of all ages praying the rosary outside an abortion clinic. Um, and I, I'll tell you, it's a tough way. I don't know many of you do that, perhaps. It's a tough way to begin a day. It is really difficult. I mean, you get... Last time I did so was with high school students. Uh, and I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed that people literally were stopping their cars, rolling down the windows, adults. And you should have heard some of the things they were shouting to these kids. And these high school kids continued peacefully, serenely, to pray the rosary. Amazing. Amazing to see that curve. You know how God's going to use it. We have a miracle to tell in our diocese in Manassas, where for years and years, uh, people were doing the same thing. They were praying the rosary outside of an abortion facility. Year after year, is this making any difference? Is this making any difference? Well, sure enough, the facility has been closed. And next month, we're opening. The diocese is opening. Catholic Charities is opening. Because it is now becoming a facility of healing and hope. Where volunteer doctors and nurses and those in the medical uh, profession, on their own, through their own generosity, are going to be providing medical care for those who are uninsured. And in that area alone, 8,000 people are uninsured. That, that story, that transformation of a culture of death now becoming a culture of hope and healing. And you cannot tell me that people of courage, the people of faith, and people of perseverance made the difference, of course, along with God's tremendous grace.
kind of courage. I pray that you are blessed with that gift. And compassion. Right? Compassion. Suffering way. If we believe that everyone uh, is created God's image and, and has the dignity as a son and daughter of God, then we treat them accordingly. I want to thank you because I know that so many of you as young adults in your parishes and on your own are involved in so many service projects uh, where you travel, where you give your time, where you participate in missionary efforts to, to help those who, who are in most need. And I really want to thank you for that and encourage you to, to continue that sense. Pope Francis is always telling us, right, that, that you know, the, the world in which we live, the community in which we live is a field hospital. We, we, can't, we can't just go stay where we're comfortable. We've got to go out to where people are, are wounded, where people are wounded. And he says, you know, you don't, you don't ask someone who's seriously injured about their cholesterol level. You've got to go, you've got to address the wound. Uh, and to take that time to, to learn what those wounds are, what those healings are. You know, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to be compassionate with the people we see every day. Sometimes it's the people in our own family. Sometimes it's the people we work with who are, are sometimes maybe, you know, takes a lot of patience or somewhat annoying or uh, just difficult to deal with. You know, I always try to pray for that grace to realize that I have no idea I have no idea. God does. I don't. I have no idea what, what is going on in that person's heart. I have no idea what's going on in that person's life. And boy, if I take time to remember that there might be something going on that I'm not even aware of, I, 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 want, I don't want to make the mistake of missing an opportunity to be sensitive. There's a bishop friend of mine who, who's, a, who's one of the nicest, holiest bishops you ever want to meet, who with great humility tells a, a story where um, he slipped in that area. We all slipped in that area. But he tells a story that he was um, standing, he was doing a parish visit, and he agreed to take photos uh, with the families who were there and all those things. But unfortunately, the parish hall didn't work for that, so they had to take the pictures in church, which he wasn't thrilled with, but he agreed to do it. So as he's taking the pictures, the whole time that he's taking the pictures, there's a gentleman back in the line on the cell phone. Right? He's talking the whole time, the whole time. And, and my, my friend, my bishop friend, saw it, and he said, God, it's just, it was just getting so annoying. You know, we're in church. He's on the phone. He's on the phone. Uh, and he said, you know, as he's coming closer, I just, I just wanted to make sure I didn't yell, you know, or, or be, you know, too direct. And when the, when the gentleman came closer to him, he said, um, Bishop, Bishop, can you do me a favor? He says, my wife so much wanted to be here tonight, but she, she's very sick with cancer. And all she wants from you is, is your blessing. Could you bless her? And he hands her the phone. And my bishop went, oh, I don't believe I just did that. You know? I mean, how, how horrible he felt, right? But, you know, that can happen in our own lives, right? That, you know, we see something or we see someone uh, and we can quit to judge or and, and I, I just encourage you that as we work for behalf of life, that, that we see that person in front of us as someone who may be in need of healing, in need of prayers, uh, in need of being reassured, reassured that he or she is God's child. And, and, and we may be the person. We may be the only person that day uh, that God is using to, re to give the reassurance that, that is necessary.
So dear friends, on this Respect Life Month, I would encourage you in every way possible, first of all, to pray, to pray fervently uh, for uh, the protection of all human life and the respect of every human person. So pray, absolutely. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, you know, look at in your own life, uh, is there anything within my life, uh, pattern behavior or habit or anything that, that is really not treating myself as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Maybe, maybe now God, God is asking me to make that commitment. Is there anything going on around me every day in the workplace or in the school where, you know what, it's about time that I that someone or that uh, an institution know it's unacceptable and speak up on behalf of it uh, with the courage that is required. And maybe to take a look around tomorrow, uh, who, who is it God is putting in your presence? Uh, uh, his son, his daughter, uh, that needs to know that they have every reason to be able to celebrate the precious gift of life itself. So maybe tonight just trying to think of a couple concrete or specific things you could do um, in those areas. So let's pray together that we will always um, celebrate and never take for granted the precious gift of life itself uh, and that we will remember that we are called by name and we are called children of God. That we will have the courage to proudly profess and live and practice uh, our faith and that we will always do so in truth and love and with compassion. And always do this in the holy name of Jesus, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Okay. So, um, just a, a couple quick words. Not everyone um, may uh, just know who I am or how I got here. So real quickly, and then maybe if there's some time for, is there okay, some questions and answers? That'd be yeah. great. So, uh, basically, Father Brendan here is studying at Catholic, Catholic U, right? And he just told me the, the interesting topic he's writing his paper on. And that's how, what is it? How it's, the, it's the role of Pontifical Legate and the Selection of Bishops. The Pontifical yeah. Legate and the Selection of Bishops. I said, could I give a few comments and suggestions? <laughs> I, I have a few recommendations I'd like to add there. But you know how that works. I think I've told somebody this story. But how that works in the Catholic Church. When I go to, I'm going to grade school tomorrow. Whenever I go to grade school, uh, the kids always ask me questions. And one of the first questions is, how did you know you wanted to be a bishop? <laughs> I, mean, I never wanted to be a bishop. <laughs> and in our Catholic Church, uh, which is very different than other denominations, you know, we do not apply to be a bishop, right? We don't put our names in, we don't interview or anything like that. The church has a very thorough process in which recommendations are sought, investigations are done uh, before it is presented to the Holy Father. And what's really interesting to know, a lot of people don't know this, but in the selection process of a bishop, the lady play a very, very important role. So for when a candidate is being proposed uh, to become a bishop, there are extensive questionnaires sent out uh, what do you know about this candidate? And anytime you nominate someone, whatever, you have to give names who may know that thing. So, for example, I'm sure uh, for each candidate, there's about 30 or 40 lay people uh, from their parishes, from their young adult groups, or, or whatever, who receive this questionnaire. So sometimes people will say, oh, the church is so hierarchical, they don't include the lady in, in the selection of the bishop. What well, we do? 
and, and that input is taken very seriously. If you ever get one of those envelopes uh, asking you about your pastor, whether you should be a bishop or not, you are put under it, and they make it very clear. It says very clearly in bold letters, you are now under the pontifical secret. That sounds scary, doesn't it? I didn't know what that was, but I knew I wasn't going to say a word to anyone. But what it is, is that you can never tell anyone, anyone, certainly not the candidate, you can never tell anyone you receive that envelope. So in my time being selected as a bishop, 40, 50, 60 questionnaires went out. And let me tell you, every one of those persons kept the pontifical secret. I had no idea who received one. But I think it's just an interesting process. When you get the call that you're being a bishop, uh, it, it's already decided. It's already decided. You know? So the, the phone call comes and says, I have good news for you. The bishop, the Holy Father, the Holy Father has named you the, the bishop of Arlington. So you just say yes. And the phone call lasts like two minutes. That's what it is, two minutes. And then you hang up the phone and just say, okay, my life just has changed drastically. Two minutes. Uh, but you know, there, there's a freedom in that, isn't there? There's a freedom in that. Uh, when you give your life over to the Lord, when you give your life over to the church, it's a yes. And it's a yes that says, wherever, Lord, and whatever. That's, that's the yes I made, and it's never what you think it's going to be. Uh, but there's such freedom, there's such peace in saying yes to the Lord's will. And I hope, I hope you find that gift. You know, just say yes. When you know what God is asking of you, you know, don't torture yourselves. Don't say, I need four more, four more weeks, four more years to discern. You know, if you know what it is and God is leading you there, have the ability, pray for that gift to say trust, and, and, and let the Lord lead you, okay? And basically, as a bishop, um, teaching, sanctifying, and governing is the threefold role of the bishop. Teaching the gospel, sanctifying through the reverent celebration of the sacraments, uh, and governing, that's the least favorite, my three, uh, because that's the uh, human resources, building, and real estate management, but it's all part of my responsibility. Thank God. No bishop has to carry that out alone. He surrounds himself with experts uh, in the various fields and relies on them. Now I have to tell you, you all are, we are all part of a, a great diocese. I have walked into a tremendous, tremendous situation through the uh, work of Bishop Laverty and his predecessor, my, our predecessors. Uh, we have a great team. Um, we're, we're in very sound shape as a diocese. We continue to experience growth. And I really look forward uh, to getting to know you uh, and to having, hopefully, uh, unless you move, don't move away on me. Don't all move away on me sometimes. Uh, hopefully we have many happy years uh, together. But let's just promise to pray for one another. Okay? Thanks, everyone. Brandon, why don't you say So, um, as I said earlier, it'd be great if we had a, a conversation. And so, if there's anything on your mind uh, regarding the diocese, the church, uh, any any issues you'd like to talk about, uh, I really would like this to be a conversation. If uh, any of the tough questions, we'll just give to Brendan. Okay. Our, our, resident, our resident theologian. Or our Catholic view. Go ahead. So, not a theological question, but... 
person with best books you've read? Correct? I'm going to bore you when I say this, but uh, so my uh, my um, uh, major or my study uh, is in education, education and administration. So I, I like reading biographies. Uh, I like reading uh, leadership books. You know, even once in a while, not not all the time, okay. But once in a while, I even read those those corny self-management books. You know, uh, that help me. So it's, it's basically biographies and leadership books. Anyone else? Yes. Hi. citizens, faithful citizens. So we're all citizens. So we, because of the sacrifice of so many people, we've been given great privilege to participate in the process of politics and elections. And so the first duty and obligation we have is to participate. Now sometimes people will ask me, well, why are you uh, speaking out uh, as a bishop on certain political issues, whatever? Well, I'm a citizen too. You know, I'm allowed to do that. But we have to do it, we have to do it faithfully. Uh, and so uh, we bring what our deep uh, beliefs and moral convictions are into the public arena. It takes responsibility, you know, it, it cannot be all emotion. I think it's very, very important for us to uh, know the issues, uh, to know what the church teaches, why the church teaches it, to really take the time to study, um, you know, what candidates are saying, um, so that our vote uh, can be made in, in good conscience. And, you know, that's an area we all have to be careful of, right? Because sometimes we just read the blogs, uh, we rely for other people to do the research for us. Uh, we don't really get down into the weeds to understand the issues or the positions that people are taking. So I think it's an investment of time. Uh, we just did a, uh, a nice uh, handout on the positions of the uh, candidates for governor in our state. Uh, issue by issue, uh, we try to help that as, as a resource. Um, but I think it's also, um, I think it's the uh, a disposition that we bring into it also. Um, you know, we have the truth, right? We have the truth. Um, and so we should be the example that is setting a different tone. Politics is very mean right now. It's mean-spirited. Um, and there's that quick of labeling, it's quick judging, it's quick uh, yelling at, at one another. And so I, I think that part of our responsibility and duty is to be faithful, responsible, mature citizens uh, who can hold our own, uh, who never compromise uh, what we believe, but also willing to listen, to try and understand why another person is holding a position. So definitely study, research, involvement, bring your faith, 
be respectful. Yeah. Yeah. Your Excellency, thank you so much for your time tonight. I've learned a lot uh, from this. I'm sure everybody else has as well. Um, I was really moved by what you mentioned about uh, your your call and how there was so much freedom, so much peace that came about from that. And uh, my question is, when we talk about vocation, most of the time, I, what comes to me, and I don't know if this helps everybody else as well, uh, but it's this, oh, you just have to pray, you just have to pray, and you just have to pray, and you just have to pray. What are some practical steps that you took that allowed you to be able to discern your vocation in addition to the prayer that, that you were, um, that you all the prayer that you had? Right, now, that's, that's a great question. So, yeah, when we discern our vocation, obviously it's prayer, and, it, and don't forget, part of the prayer is listening. You know, uh, part of the prayer is to talk to the Lord and then just say, okay, the next five minutes or the next ten minutes are yours. Uh, and, and let the Lord speak back to your heart. Uh, specific steps that I took in my vocation would include, well, kind of what I was just saying about politics, go learn. You know, uh, if you're thinking that the Lord may be leading you to seminary, go visit the seminary. You know, and our diocese provides great opportunities for such practical experiences. Try to get to know someone who's doing this as a seminarian. You know, to try to find out. Talk to a person who, who's gone through this process, who is closer to you in age. But then also find someone who's lived it. You know, so uh, I found uh, a priest. I, I found both. I found a seminarian who really became uh, a guide to me. Then I found a priest who I admired and respected and was living the vocation. So I think you have to, you're right, you have to be very realistic too. You have to, you have to, um, so I think the only way you do that is to, to get the experience that you can. You know, the, the only thing I, you know, you caution sometimes people with in discernment is that you, you can be a lifelong discerner. And that's not good either, you know? Um, because you have to meet, one of the best advice that the priest gave me that I talked to, so I guess he saw that tendency in me, I think, maybe, I don't know. But he said, listen, let's, let's make it, let's be realistic here. You think about going into the seminary. He, he said, notice you're not, you're not thinking about being ordained tomorrow. You're thinking about going to seminary. That's the first step. He said, that's, what's a practical date? Maybe it's three months from now, maybe it's six months from now, maybe it's a year from now, whatever it is. Let's realize what a practical date would be. Let's, let's set that, let's put that in red. And then on that, by that date, you're either going to seminary or you're not. And if you are, go into seminary. If you're not, let's move on. Maybe you'll come back to some other time. But you know, that really helped because it, it, it intensified, you know, um, my discernment. You know, it, it, it's like with the Lord, with the disciples. Remember, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yeah, we're going to follow you. We're going to follow you. But first, I'm going to do this. Let me go do this first, and I'll be back. You know? And I'll say, no, no, no. Either, either now or never. So, so those in discernment, I think you have to be realistic, saying realistic, you know, not irresponsible. But you, you just avoid being someone who never makes that decision, never makes that leap, because it, it is always a leap of faith. You never have 100% certainty. It's always a leap of faith and a trust in God. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I have a question about uh, evangelization. So like, I have like really good friends of mine who are not Catholic or even Christian, but I really care about them. But we've been friends for years. So like, how do I approach like, you know, I care about them. I want them to have the faith, but I don't want them to be scared of me by just 
talking a lot about Jesus. So like, how do you approach that? And what is the best best strategy for that? Right, so that's a great question, right? Evangelization, how do we share our faith and the joy that we find our faith without others without uh, turning them away, right? So that, that's a good question. And again, I think that's a very important part of evangelization. Uh, the Holy Father talks a, a lot about this. You know, he says, you know, one of the most effective ways of evangelization is, is joy. It's joy. You know, you don't have to be mean or look mean to be a good evangelizer. You know, uh, not a giddiness, not a silliness, but a, a profound joy where people say, you know what, I'd like that. I'd like to have that. I don't have that in my life. Where do you find that? So so I think you, you're right. We don't want to scare off people or they see you coming and they're like, oh, here we go, right? So uh, I, I think it's I think it's important joy and, and a respectful conversation. You know, like saying, you know, find out what their interests are. Find out, you know, what issue are they maybe struggling with that it'd be great to have a conversation about. Um, but I think it's it's really your, your own witness. And and sometimes, it's, uh, sometimes not all the time, sometimes it's good to chip out and have a beer. Uh, but sometimes a, a substantial discussion, but one that you mutually would like to talk about. Uh, and, and sometimes when you give people the opportunity to talk and explain where they're coming from, it gives you that just that narrow opening where you can slightly adjust their thinking uh, to the truth without going like this, you know. Yes. yes. Thank you for a wonderful talk. Um, and there is one thing that that really stood out to me um, was was um, from coming from the WCCS, like the further up take step one. Um, that is also being like saying you being called you being called encouraged. I already am moved because of what happened in the What happened in Las Vegas? I understand that. I've read your homily in the Catholic Carol. But my point is that how can we be able to relate to other people, not just, not just Catholics, but to other people like this, children of immigrants, and other you know, people like that, be able to, and maybe one day be able to step up, be called, be able to both be, know that God is calling them to the same way as we are to perfect the past. How can we be able to relate to this? Helping others to, to I got my hearing so bad. So I'm just uh, like the, from where I work, um, um, most of my coworkers are the children of the immigrants that oh. came over. Right. How can we be, as we are right now, temples of the Holy Spirit? How can we be able to replace other people like them right. in order to show them what courage means and what yeah. passion they to be called? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. Thank you so much for that very thoughtful question uh, about uh, how we relate to all people and in a special way now uh, how we relate to those who are immigrants, right? You said some of your co-workers um, and their children. Um, and if one reality is to realize is that um, they're living in fear, right? Uh, those who are immigrants, um, Refugees right now are, are living in fear for a couple reasons. Certainly, we're all aware of the, the back and forth with DACA, um, uh, with some of the uh, suggestions that have been made regarding uh, deport, deportation, uh, some of the realities that I lived in in my formal diocese of ICE, um, 
coming into homes in the middle of the night uh, without warning and tearing apart families. Uh, and so we, we don't know that fear, but when you talk to uh, immigrants uh, right now, uh, there's fear. And, you know, I think to, to allow people to speak to that fear um, and, uh, and to reassure them that in the midst of this, uh, God is there. In the midst of it, there are the bishops of the country uh, and so many others praying that we will find a way uh, for respectful, comprehensive immigration reform that is certainly respectful of, of law and order and security, uh, but always uh, finding a way uh, to respect the dignity of, of human persons and families. Uh, bishops always say that, you know, we're not the, you don't elect us to be legislators. Uh, we don't know the ins and outs of the, of the system, how you get a bill passed and laws through um, the various uh, uh, branches of government. Uh, but we do know that we know the, the, the um, moral values that must be uphold. And, and you have to know that the bishops of the country are working each and every day, usually behind the scenes, uh, with the administration uh, and our elected officials. Uh, on behalf of being a voice for those who really don't have a voice uh, and who are living in fear. So I think your reassurance um, that there are people working on their behalf and certainly of promising them God will never abandon them are, are some things that could be helpful to them. And, you know, and, and again, there's another thing where courage comes in. Uh, you know, if you hear or see uh, someone being treated disrespectfully just because of their nationality or cultural background, you have to say that's unacceptable. Uh, you have to be that, that voice uh, for, for people. Thanks. Yes, uh huh. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Where, where are the gifts from? Uh, well, two rosaries my mom made. Oh yeah, I'd be, I'd be honored to. Sure, that'd be great. Thank you. Yes? Uh, you may have already addressed this, but what do you, I know you're newer to the diocese, but I know you're going to different parishes and talking to people and observing. What do you think is the greatest challenge in the diocese right now? How can you help yeah, I think the greatest challenge is oh, it's also a blessing. The greatest challenge is we're uh, continuing to experience in our growth um, that was really unpredictable. Uh, how we will manage that growth both with uh, uh, priest resources and uh, also financial resources uh, to meet the growth of a, a growing diocese. Uh, you know, many of my bishop friends are going through the opposite where there's been a population shift and they had all they need as far as buildings and facilities and things like that, but the people moved. And so a diocese like where I was, a diocese like this, is saying, well, now we are in this privileged position to welcome, uh, but, but it takes some greater planning. So uh, we're beginning to look at that seriously um, here in the diocese. So the, the biggest challenge is just meeting uh, the growth uh, that we're experiencing. That's a blessing though. Right. I'll take that any day. Alright. Is that okay everyone? Alright. 
So um, I hope you enjoy uh, your time together, and I'm certainly going to hang around. And, uh, and a miracle, Brendan said he's going to buy me a beer, so I don't know. <laughs> All right, thanks everyone. Thanks for your kind attention.